Starting over. Cut. <laughs> Cut. Take three. <laughs> take three. <laughs> Do you need more wine? No, I have whiskey and Diet Coke. I'm good. Okay. All right. Do you need more whiskey? No. Welcome to the third edition of the Hormesis podcast, Microdose. I'm here with Sean, and we're going to briefly discuss ACR surveys, our experience with them, and maybe give you a little advice on if your clinic has one coming up. So, Sean, I know that you just had an ACR survey, and I know, and I, I just am curious to hear, you know, your experience with it. How do you think it went? I mean, not personally with your clinic, but the overall process. What did you think of it? It's a little different than I expected. So this was our three-year reaccreditation review. We obviously did this three years ago, and when I f- that was right after I first joined uh, the current hospital that I'm at. Because I was so new and I was just learning the ropes and everything, I kind of stayed away from it because because I, A, could, and B, didn't want to open my mouth and say something stupid, which I do frequently. So so this time I actually got involved in, a, in it a little bit, and I thought it was interesting how they, they came in and they have, for all of the different things that they say they're going to review, they're very consistent with it. They have these checklists of exactly what they're going to be looking for. We had two excellent site reviewers who came in, a, phys- a physician and a physicist, and the, it was a little sort of like, okay, I really hope that I've got all my I's dotted and my T's crossed <laughs> on my paperwork, and they definitely found... You know, one or two that we we may have missed here and there. But overall, I think it was a positive experience for our clinic. Whenever I've gone into these things, I've been, you know, like, you know what you're doing. And, you know, our job is to make sure we're following the regulations, we're following the rules, we're doing what we're supposed to do. The majority of us, I feel like I'm sure there's some rogue physicists out there who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. But in our day-to-day work, you know, we all take so much pride in it. We know we're doing the right thing. So then you have these reviewers come in and then you have this moment of like fear that someone else is reviewing what you did. I don't know. Did you have that kind of moment of fear? Like, ang- ang- I don't know if it's fear or anxiety. It's yeah. just stressful yeah. to have somebody else looking over your shoulder. hundred percent. Yeah. It's especially when they started looking at the, the, like the annual QA, the things that you don't do very often. And you're like, Oh, did I miss something? Did I make sure that my checklist was right? And, you know, they did actually point out a couple things that maybe we could improve. For example, uh, star shot films. Our practice has been when we take a star shot film, like we, we look at it, we're evaluating it, but we're not doing the most quantitative evaluation of it because, one, we have a difficulty finding the tools to do that. And two, when we look at it, you can tell very quickly, like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. This is a good this is a good test. You know, like things like that were, you know, things things like the the infrequent tests that you you know you should do, and you should kind of have to do a little prep work for it, and you have to find a special time in the year to do it. Is um, you know that was one of the things when I started pulling those out. I was like, okay, I really hope that I got everything I need to here. That's one of the things I think from my experience I found too that's interesting. You can do a test, and you know how you're doing it, you know how you're measuring it, and you say, okay, this is good, it passes. But if you don't write it down on your form correctly, I mean, how do you prove that you did it right? It's this whole aspect. I think a lot of us aren't necessarily as good at documentation as we should be. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong, but there's two parts to our job. We have to do it right and document it right, especially with, you know, you have these testing people coming through. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. The documentation is one of the things that I personally struggle with a lot because, you know, when I went through 
my training, a lot of the documentation had been developed for us, right? I mean, we went through the same program and while we were able to bring that documentation template to where we went, uh, making sure that it was all clear and accurate and that there were no errors from that changeover is, is difficult. And plus, when you go into a new place, they already do this QA. So it's not like you can just bring in a brand new template and say, all right, we're doing it this way, right? I mean, I don't know. What was your experience when you, uh, when you started taking over machine QAs? So this is really – I had a very – that's probably not a good question to ask. My experience <laughs> Why not? <laughs> okay, so when I came into the medical physics world, um, the machine I was handed was tomotherapy. And about that same time, TG-148 came out, which was also around the time TG-142 came out. And TG-148 was a guideline about how to do tomotherapy QA. So one of my first jobs as a physicist entering the field was to revamp the QA process for this machine and make it align with this TG report. So I kind of had to redevelop all of those forms from scratch at that point. So I never had to really go through the process of having someone look at my work on old forms. They were always my personal forms. That makes sense. But I will tell you, it was a very tedious process. <laughs> it took a long time. And that's one of the tips I think um, I can give for if you're developing a form. You know, I went through that report, the TG report, and I, I organized my QA form to match the TG report. So maybe if it didn't necessarily make sense for two tests to be next to each other, on my paperwork they were. Because then when the reviewer came through... There wasn't a question of like, what is this test? Why are you doing it? It was called the same thing as the TG report called it. It was in the same order as the TG report. And I think that helped a lot. But I got, I kind of got lucky. I mean, at the time I didn't think I was lucky, but I wasn't really inheriting a form. So that's interesting for the, for the ACR review. I, I don't think I've had that experience for a state review in Ohio. I know that they do a, um, they ha- the inspectors come in with a piece of software that the state has generated that does exactly what you're talking about, where it's listing right. all the tests. But for the ACR, they you know they they had some tests that they made sure that the physicists looked for. But I think most of the checkboxes they were talking about were appropriate monthly QAs, appropriate documentation of annual right. QAs, um, everything on time. And so um, I know one thing that our clinic may have some difficulty with is making sure that everything gets organized in the same way. We have a lot of different people doing different things at different sites with different machines. So, it, you know, we have six different type. No, how many? We have a we have a gamma knife. We have a CT. We have an IX. We have a couple true beams. We have a Tomo uh, and a Vero. So and an HDR unit. So seven different types of machines that we're responsible for QA and plus a C-arm X-ray that we rely on radiology to do plus permanent seed implants. So we do a lot of different things with all of our stuff. And all the QA for that is handled by different people. And sometimes it's, you know, kind of everywhere. The person who had done this QA for several years, they got a different job and they left and the training was there. But, it, you know, it's you're training somebody else to use your form that you developed for a few years and they don't, you know, they don't change what's going on with it, but they may not know why you put this there. So, you know, that was, I think, one of the things that we got was it would be beneficial to help you, your organization by uh, unifying all these different tests that you're going to do. Right. So I think that's one thing, you know, making sure that your, your QAs, when you have them, if you have multiple people working in things, making sure that they all kind of come together and that they're all consistent across different people and different sites. I think that's so hard to do, too, because we're kind of in the same environment where I work with a group of people as well. And you can't all 
you would like, to, in an ideal world, you'd all do the same thing and you'd rotate around and everyone would get their hands on something, but that's just not how it works out. And as physicists, I think we're kind of tinkers. You know, we're never satisfied with something the way it is. We want to make it better. We want to improve it. And sometimes you make these small incremental changes while over like two or three years, someone comes back and looks at what you've done and you started out with the same thing and now you're doing something completely different. I think kind of evaluating what you're doing with your Yeah, group. 100%. So like one of our physicists uses the portal imager for a lot of like ve- verification QA. So um, they do, you know, they do a physical flatness and symmetry measurement, but they, it's hard on that machine to do a gating QA, like your gated output. And so they use the portal imager. They do a non-gated and they do a gated, but they also use that as a backup flatness and symmetry bit. And that's a really cool technique that he developed all on his own. He was tinkering. Interesting. He gets great results with it, but bringing that back for the rest of us has been a challenge because we don't have time to all sit in the same room every day and like, oh, hey, so we want to update our QA forms. Let's get everybody using even the same basic QA template. I thought that was, I thought. Oh, what? That really reminds me of something else that's interesting. Even though, you know, you have a bunch of sites in the same system, I bet you all don't have the same equipment and you all don't have the same QA equipment because they all come in at different times. And so that's another interesting challenge. Jesus, are you looking over my shoulder? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it we're is. We're in we've the same environment. We've got a couple different things, a couple sites, and we've got a map check one place and a map check three at another. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. I mean, in an ideal world, you'd all have the same equipment, but that's, you know, you can't do it. You can't just replace a whole set of equipment because something new comes out. We have arc checks at some places. We have matrixes at some places. Yeah, we use the EPID. We use a physical device at some places. We're using an ion chamber and film at other devices. You know, that might not have as high of a volume. Like, it's just, it's interesting. How do you combine that all into one form? Sometimes you can't. So these little tweaks here, these little tweaks there, you end up with something completely different. Consistency is so important, though, because I know I've run into the problem, and I know people have run into this with me, where you're out, you're sick. You know, I I had the flu and strep throat back to back a couple years ago. And so that was unexpected. I was gone for a week. And, you know, a week can be an eternity in a clinic. If stuff's due, it's due. Someone else has to do it. So I started putting a lot of comments in my Excel spreadsheets to know, you know, how to do a test. And I started doing that with homotherapy. And I think that's a, I actually need to do that more. I've gotten a little bit away from that, but it's really helpful. So everyone can be on the same page. So, So to get back to the topic of this, I mean, I think the ACR review really emphasize that that aspect of our clinical care is something that we we might be able to improve upon. And I think that was really helpful. I think that overall the review is going to make our practice a lot stronger because now we have something like before, you know, we're, we're all feeling very busy. We're all going places and trying to do as much as we can and do the best thing we, we can, the best job we can for our patients. But this has kind of brought the focus back and like, all right, so maybe we need to get back to some basics here and make sure that we're doing the fundamentals of our jobs really well before we start branching out. And, and that's something that I definitely need to work on individually as a, as a physicist is making sure that, you know, I hate doing QA. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But it's, uh, you know, I, I, I would rather get stuck in on some like DIBH project or, you know, interesting dosimetry aspect. But it is part of what I'm there to do, and I need to be better better at it. I need to be more cognizant of keeping abreast with my peers on it. So I think that we're you know individually, I'm taking a lot out of this this survey, and I, and uh, as a group, we're gonna we're gonna grow a lot more from it. So you know, I don't want to pry. I don't know what our results are. Uh, I don't know if you want to share anything about how you felt after the survey. I think that's really the part that you know. There's a waiting period, and we're still in that waiting period where we don't know. <laughs> 
I mean, I always feel feel stressed out after every exam. I felt stressed out. Every board exam felt stressed out afterwards. So I don't really know that my level of stress or apprehension really has reflected the results at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I think that's just like my nature is to be stressed out because it's a, stre- it's a stressful experience. So if you're going through it and you're stressed out, don't feel bad about that. It doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. It's just mm-hmm. part of the process. Did you feel like the survey, did you feel like the survey though identified some things that maybe you guys could legitimately build on? I think for us, some of the highlights were organization. And I think, you know, over time, we've really tried to do things like formalize our QA forms, try to make sure, you know, someone else can explain what you did as well as you can if there's a question that comes up. If things are kind of standardized, it's easier for things to stand out that are wrong. And one of the things that we've really started doing is every, our monthly QA and our annual QA, we each look over somebody else's and kind of sign off on it you know we're all board certified so it's not an issue of like we need it because we're not board certified but you know I'll review you know someone else's and make sure they didn't miss anything there's not a typo because a lot of what we do really is copying and pasting forms when we get a new machine I'm not going to recreate a form from scratch I'm going to take a form from another machine and edit it to fit my machine well when you have an annual QA form a monthly QA form a daily QA form it's really easy to miss something miss a serial number somewhere and miss, miss, you know, this machine doesn't have wedges and I have a checkbox for wedges here. It doesn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. Having that extra set of eyes, I think, is so important because it's so easy to miss little things. So if you can, find someone to look over your work. It doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. It's just that extra set of eyes is really helpful. That's, yeah, that's a really good, it's a really good bit of feedback there. We do, we do have audits and I think a lot of it is more, is this present? Like, is your monthly QA for the month of June present? You know, like that that type of thing. But, you know, a more thorough review. And I, that's something that we're going to try and come together as a group to, to implement. Well, and honestly, the first couple times we did it, I kind of rolled my eyes. Like, are you serious? Like, I'm board certified. Do you really need to check over my work? But the more you do it, the more you realize, okay, if you're looking at something for days on end, you're you kind of start to go a little cross-eyed. You kind of, you're over it. You're tired. You're mentally drained. You know, that having... A fresh set of eyes look at something doesn't mean that you're bad at what you're doing. It's just recognizing that, you know, I'm not perfect and I need the help. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, I think one thing that at our institution, a lot of our physicists have been there for a while. And the challenge with that is that you mentioned when you started your job, you know, there were a lot of new task group reports. There were a lot of new regulations that got put into effect. And staying current with that is challenging especially when your practice is is busy. You've got a lot of things going on. You've got to, you know, you're not working with a surplus of staff ever. And and that makes it difficult. So having somebody who can come in and say, okay, well, so last year they updated this regulation and this test is now required. And we just aren't doing that yet. So let's, let's look at what we can do to do that. I think that's, that's a, that's a huge benefit as not even like, that's one of the, the big parts of, that differentiates a solo physicist's practice with a group physicist's practice is that level of peer review that is available to you at nearly a a daily basis if you're willing to reach out for it. Right. I had a hard time admitting that at first that, you know, I'm really happy that I'm in a group of physicists as opposed to a solo physicist because I felt, you know, that kind of reflected on me a little bit. You know, I'm not confident enough to work on my own. And the reality is I am, but it's just – we're all human and we're not perfect. And it's so nice to have somebody there that you can reach out to and say, hey, can you look this over for yeah, me? Yeah, I mean, 
I think I shared at the beginning of this podcast, like one of the reasons I got drawn into medical physics was the interaction part of it. And I think like being solo to me is a little intimidating because I know I'm going to come up against a problem that if, if I hit that wall, like, yeah, I can get over it. I know that I can, but it's going to take me a long time. And especially when you're, when you're solo, you have so many other things on your plate at that time that right. you may not have the time to get over that and having somebody else there. Is well, even just sitting and chatting about it, like saying, hey, I'm doing this. This is what I'm thinking of doing. Sometimes you even just verbalize what you're doing and all of a sudden a light bulb goes off. So, you know, the ACR and reviews and state reviews and things like that are stressful, but the overall outcome I think is good. It causes us to reevaluate what we're doing and come up with better, more efficient ways to do it and document it. At first we all have this like, oh my God, the ACR is coming. Like, uh, they're just going to like criticize everything. They do. They do kind of take a look at everything. But one of the things that's underappreciated ahead of time is really this is an opportunity for us to improve. They're right. providing that same level of peer review in the same way that like the RPC does when you do your annual OSLD testing. Like I always get that that same sense of like nervousness. In fact, yes. I, I just sent my RPC OSLDs about a month ago. So I'm still waiting on that PDF coming back to say like, everything's fine. And it's so That's crazy because you know, you're doing the right thing, but you always have that level of fear at the back of your mind. Like... Oh my God. So one of the first times I did the RPC OSLDs and I irradiated the wrong OSLD with the wrong energy and having to send that email with one of the other physicists from, from my training center, I was just like, Oh my God. I've already fucked up. I'm never going to make it. <laughs> you feel like you're the only person that could possibly ever do that. And then you realize, okay, it, it's so crazy because we do these things that are that are so much more complex than a rating in an OSLD every single day. And you do it fine. But then all of a sudden you have these OSLDs and there's just a moment of panic that I can't mess this up. I got to do it perfect. Everything has to be just right. And yeah. I honestly feel the way every time I do TG51. Every single year. And you think I'd be over it by now. I'm like nine years out of graduate school. Every year I do TG51 and I have this like a little bit of anxiety. Like it's stressful. You're heightened awareness. You're want to make sure everything's perfect. That's not a bad thing. But it's still stressful for me every year. I think there are few better feelings in the world than after you've done TG51 and you've made an adjustment and you go back to either your monthly or your daily and you see that that adjustment is exactly the change that you've just made. Right. <laughs> right. They're like, oh, okay. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice talking to you. <laughs> you know, sometimes I feel like we all have egos. That's part of being a physicist. We're all, we all have egos. It just goes with the territory. Sometimes it's hard to admit that you have these fears and anxieties. And I think we all kind of do a little. Absolutely. I mean, we, we the, you know, the, the saying is like a physician can, can mistreat one patient at any time. And a physicist can mistreat 100 patients at any time. You know, that's that's real. Because when I make that adjustment on the machine, like, okay, holy shit, like, this is what everything hinges upon is this dose calibration right now. Like, all the other relative dosimetry, I'm not as worried about personally. Right. But when I do TG51, it's like, oh, okay, so, you know, I don't want the state coming after me because I just underdosed a bunch of people by way too much. You know, yeah. like, there's a there's a serious pucker factor to it. Yeah. And I think that's good. I, I think every year I'm kind of glad that I still have that anxiety because I think the moment you lose that, you're kind of losing some of the caring. And that's part of our field. You have to yeah. care about what you do. If you're not stressed, well, I don't want to say you're not caring, but if you are stressed, that's kind of a sign that you do care. It goes back to the MedFiz 3.0, right? Remember that what I'm doing right now is not just a part of my job. This is going to impact people in a way that 
is hard for me to understand just so maybe look at the acr surveys kind of like that then you know like this is helping me improve and make myself better if they find something wrong okay i'll fix it yeah I do want to take a minute. I mean, I think we're, we're coming to the end of it. I would love to, to thank the ACR surveyors. I can't say who they were by name, but for any any of the people out there who go out and do these surveys and interact, uh, you know, not just even for the ACR. I know that Astro is starting APEX accreditation. Taking your time out of your, your busy clinic life and reviewing somebody else's work and being that sanity check for them and making suggestions so particularly to our surveyor taking some time after some of the surveys were done and showing us some tools that they may recommend to improve clinical practice really 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 appreciated all of that and definitely are taking some feedback to heart so it's actually it, it was you know one of the things that they said when they were leaving they were saying you know hey just remember that you can also do this on your own and so that's something that we're starting to look into is like okay maybe this is something that we can do because you go out, you see clinics that operate in totally different ways than you do. Do you think you'd ever be an ACR surveyor, Andrea? I would love to. That's something that's right up in line with things that I love to do. I mean, I do the mock oral board exams every year. I love doing things like that. I think I, you know, it's it's interesting. I think I learn something every year when I do that <laughs> and it keeps you on your toes. If you're looking for problems in other places, you think you can't help but think back on what you're doing at your own clinic and- you know, you might see an innovative way that someone's doing QA. I think all that's so valuable. I would love to do it. What about you? Yeah, I, I mean, heck, I almost want, I wanted to sign up for that uh, that Royals uh, RO hack advisory position until I looked and they were like, hey, 10 years experience minimum. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Just because I, always... I do think that. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. What do you want? What do you want? I just that? always worry that, you know, because I, I don't have a PhD that I'm not as desirable for those positions. But oh, are you teeing up the MD PhD debate? I don't know. I just I don't want to get a PhD though. I love I love where I'm at, but sometimes I feel like some of the thing some of my interests would be easier to pursue if I had a PhD. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons to go for it. I would encourage you not to be discouraged by the fact that you don't have a PhD because while some things some doors are easier to open, that in no way makes you less capable. Yeah. My personal opinion. My opinion agrees, but <laughs> yeah, sometimes the world likes to hit you when you're down, right? Right, exactly. Well, this has been this has been a, a really fun conversation with you. I hope that everybody out there who is thinking about going for either ACR or Apex accreditation strongly considers it, goes for it. If you're thinking about becoming a site reviewer or site surveyor, give it another thought. See what you can do. I think that it would really enrich your own clinical practice. I know that's something that I'm going to be looking into in the next few weeks. So do you have anything else that you want to say, Andrew? No, but I'd love to hear your experience if you do end up, you know, going through that process, how it went, what you did. That'd be interesting. Oh, man, that would be a great thing to post on our Reddit. Yeah. Reddit.com slash r slash hormesis podcast. Yeah. Come come tell us about your experiences, your interests in that. and Or you could tweet at us at at Hormesis Podcast and Allison, who is handling most of the tweets at the moment, will be able to tweet back at you or retweet things. I don't know how Twitter works, but it's a thing now. I don't know how it works either, but I, I know how kind of to do it. All right. Well, it's been great getting to share some experiences in, from the clinic with you, Andrea. I uh, always enjoy it. So, And for those of you listening at home, I hope you go over to reddit.com slash r slash Hormesis Podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Good night. Good night.